0: Well, good morning. We are continuing to work our way and walk our way through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And we're looking at what it means to be a difference maker. You know, of all the things that our homes and our schools and our communities and our society needs today, and there are a lot of things we need. The greatest need of all is for difference makers, people who really care about what's happening in our society, people who care about the kind of world that our children and our grandchildren are going to grow up in, people who care about things like morality, right and wrong, the disintegration of the family, the dysfunctionality in the church, the devastation in our schools and our communities. But you know, more than just caring, we need people who are willing to get out into the mess and be the difference makers. Can I just say something to you this morning? I want to say this to you regardless of your age, your stage in life, your vocation. It doesn't matter. Now, this is for all of us this morning, beginning with me. I want to challenge all of us this morning. Don't throw your life away in pursuit of the American dream of vocational stability, financial security, and social identity. coming to the end of your life and having really nothing left to leave behind except videos of the Grand Canyon or Disney World or Clemson or Carolina or Citadel football games or a big house and a nice car. Do you know how many of those things are going to count for anything when you stand before the Lord? In case you don't know, I'll tell you. None of them. None of them, none of those things are going to have any eternal significance. So would you determine this morning that you're going to spend your life, the few and brief years that you have, pursuing things that genuinely make a difference? You see, the book of Nehemiah shows us what God can do when he can find somebody who's committed to making a difference. When God can find some difference makers, he can change some things, and he can change some things quickly. You see, because Nehemiah wasn't content to just cocoon himself in his cushy job and enjoy his comfortable life, because he was committed to being a difference maker, God was able to take this man, and in just 52 days, he was able to solve a 141-year-old problem. And you see, that's what God wants to do, can do, and expects to be able to do through your life and my life, through the life of every person who would name the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior of life. You see, the book of Nehemiah is not a story about ancient history. It is a story about contemporary reality. It is a story about what God can do, wants to do, and will do if he can just find some Nehemiah kind of people who will be willing to say in our day what Nehemiah said in his, God, here am I. You can use me to make a difference. So we have looked at the role of a dedicated person. That was Nehemiah. We have seen the reality of a difficult problem, the total devastation of a culture. And we began last Sunday talking about the requirement of determined prayer. You see, the very first prerequisite, if you genuinely want to be a difference maker, is to realize that you'll never be a difference maker by yourself. Only God can make the kind of difference that needs to be made in our lives and our families, our society, our culture, our communities, our nation. And among the nations. And in order to get God in on the difference making, you must be a person who is committed to determined prayer. Not just prayer, but determined prayer. Last Sunday, we began looking at some of the characteristics of determined prayer. And we saw that the first characteristic of determined prayer is that it is sacrificial prayer. We're not talking about shallow prayer, we're not talking about superficial prayer, we're not talking about sometimes prayer. We're talking about sacrificial prayer. You see, prayer that can change things is the kind of prayer that is willing to make some level of sacrifice in order to spend the time necessary in the presence of God with the Word of God so that you will know how to carry out the will of God in the midst of that difficult problem so that you can be a difference maker. We talked about that last week. This morning we come to look at the second characteristic of determined prayer, and that is that determined prayer is focused prayer. Determined prayer is focused prayer. You see, Nehemiah had a difficult problem. He was having to deal with the complete and absolute disintegration of a culture, but instead of Talking about the enormity of his problem, I want you to look and see how Nehemiah really begins his prayer here in verse 5. It says, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Now I want to stop here and I want to show you something. Nehemiah began not by focusing on his problem, but by focusing on his God. Now, why should you do that? Let me give you a truth. Here it is. When you have a big problem, my friend, when I have a big problem, you need a big God. You need a big God. Nehemiah said, Lord, as I look at my awful situation, I want to begin this prayer by saying one thing. You are an awesome God. Now, we need to understand something here. Our younger generations did not coin this word, awesome. We we have really trivialized this word today because we use it for everything, but in reality, there's only one thing in the entire universe that is really awesome And Nehemiah reserved that word for God. Over 2,500 years ago, he said, God, you are great, and you are awesome. That's because Nehemiah understood that when he got down on his knees, he wasn't bowing before a small God. He wasn't bowing before a limited God, a weak God, a wimp God. Nehemiah knew he was bowing before a God who was great and awesome. And that was important because Nehemiah's problem was the total devastation of a society. He looked at Jerusalem and he saw utter Devastation. He saw economic distress. He saw social injustice. He saw families that couldn't work together or live together anymore. He saw poverty. He saw crime. He saw immorality. Nehemiah was dealing with something the politicians couldn't solve. The judicial dis- system couldn't solve. The social scientists couldn't solve. The best planners and organizers couldn't solve, so he falls on his knees, and he takes his problem to the great and awesome God. You see, Nehemiah knew he had an awful problem, but he also knew he had an awesome God. The great preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, is one of my favorite stories. G. Campbell Morgan was preaching one time on the power of prayer, and in his sermon, he stated... That Christians ought to take everything to God, no matter what it is. After the sermon, a, a lady came up to him and said, Dr. Campbell, I appreciate your message, but I, I, I don't agree with you. I, I, don't, I don't believe in taking the big things to God in prayer. I only take Him the things I can't handle. I, I don't think we need to bother God with the small things. And the great preacher looked at the lady and replied, he said, Lady... Anything you take to God is small. And he was right. See, we panic because things look so overwhelming to us, we don't see how we can ever fix it or deal with it or overcome it. But when you put that thing beside a God who just by His spoken word created the universe, who by His divine will causes the tides of a million planets to rise and fall. A God who took the dust of the earth and breathed into it so that it became a living person. The God who appointed a fish to swallow a man and then spit him out again to accomplish his divine purposes. When you understand that that God is your God, when you understand he is the great awesome, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God, then how big did you say your problem was? What did you say was so overwhelming? Let me tell you something this morning we could all do with a reminder of the greatness and the awesomeness of God. Do you remember the story of Job? Job was struggling with all that had happened to him, and there were some awful things that had happened to him. He had some incredible problems, and he was questioning God's wisdom and God's power. So God sits Job down and gives him a four-chapter lecture. And, and, And I just want to say to you, if you've got a problem this morning, one of the best things you can do is sit down and read Job chapters 38 through 41. Let me tell you some of the things God says in those chapters. I laid the foundations of the earth. I fixed the limits of the seas. I give orders to the morning. I give birth to the frost. I bring forth the constellations in the heavens. I send the lightning bolts on their way. I tip over the water jars of the heavens. I count the clouds. I give the horse its speed and the eagle its flight and the ox its strength. And on and on God speaks of his power and his greatness, giving example after example after example in these four chapters until Job finally cries out in chapter 42 verse 2, I know you can do all things, O God. And no plan of yours can be thwarted. You see, Job learned what Nehemiah already knew. He's a great and an awesome God. Jeremiah said the same thing in chapter 32, verse 17 of his prophecy. Sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. My Christian brother and sister, when you begin to see your problem in the light of your great and awesome God, then that should give you confidence, it should give you courage to move against that problem with determination and great hope. It's always been that way. Do You remember the story of David and Goliath? Let me tell you, that's, that's, that's more than just a children's bedtime story. It's a living illustration of this truth. Nobody would have given David a chance against Goliath. Nobody thought he could win that fight. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. He'd been a warrior since his youth. He had all the sophisticated armor and weaponry. David had a slingshot. But he also had a great and awesome God. And that's why he could say to Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, yes, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of heaven. My friend, the way you conquer Your nagging fears, the way you overcome your difficult problem, the way you become a difference maker in your home, your school, your community, your nation, and among the nations is through determined prayer, and that means it is focused prayer. It means that no matter the challenge, no matter how impossible the situation may seem, you keep your eyes focused on the great and awesome God. Your great and awesome God. So determined prayer is sacrificial prayer. It is focused prayer. And then the third thing I want to share about it is this. Determined prayer is covenantal prayer. Determined prayer is covenantal prayer. Look at verse 5 again. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant, and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Now I want you to look carefully at that word covenant. Underline it. Highlight it. Such an important concept when it comes to talking about prayer. Do you understand the word covenant? The word covenant refers to a binding agreement where two or more people come together and they agree on certain things that they're going to do, and the deal is this. If one person doesn't keep his or her end of the bargain or the covenant, then the other person is under no obligation whatsoever to keep his or her end of the bargain or the covenant. Now, if you're a parent, you probably understand covenants well. If you've ever said to one of your children, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do this for you, then you have made a covenant. If you keep your room clean this week, then you'll get your allowance. Or if you help me get the yard work done today, you can have a friend come over and spend the night this weekend. Now, when my child did what I asked him or her to do, then I was absolutely obligated to do what I said I would do. But here's the interesting part. Sometimes if my child did not do what he or she said they would do, they still wanted me to do what I said I would do. See, even when the room wasn't clean, can I have my allowance? Even when the yard work didn't get done, what time can my friend come over? And I had to explain because they expected dad to still come through, I had to explain that they had broken the covenant. And I had to say to them, hey, because you didn't do what you said you would do, I am no longer obligated to do what I said I would do. And you know what? They didn't like that. They didn't like that one little bit. Now listen, what some of us have not understood is that when You become a Christian, you enter into a covenant with God. You say to God, Lord, I receive you into my life, and I promise to love you, follow you, obey you for as long as I live. That is your promise to God. Did you know that? Now, I need to tell you, if you don't know that, if you didn't do that, then we really need to sit down and have a talk because Christianity is far more than just punching your ticket to heaven. It's a whole lot more than just making sure you don't end up in hell. You make a covenant with God. And you say, I love you, I will follow you, I will obey you. And when you do that, then God makes a covenant with you. And he says, okay, because you receive me because you promise to love me and follow me and obey me because you make yourself available to me. I will also make myself available to you. I will make my strength available to you. I will make my power available to you. I will make my resources available to you. That is the covenant. That is the agreement. So I come to God In prayer, and I say, God, I've got this difficult problem. I've got this overwhelming situation, and I need you to come through for me. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your resources applied to this problem. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God have the strength, the power, and the resources to come through for me? Absolutely. He's the great and awesome God. There is no question about that. That is not the question. Here's the question. Have I kept the covenant? Have I kept the covenant? You see, verse 5 tells me God keeps covenant with those who love Him and obey His commands. And here's what that means. Here's the truth. You ready for it? Here's what it means. God is faithful to those who are faithful to Him. God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. God invests in my problems when I invest in his program. Now, listen, we don't think like this a lot, but I want you to know I've thought about it a lot. And I've come to the conclusion that it's a lot like this. Let's just say I go to my bank tomorrow afternoon. I have a bank account at my bank. And whenever I go to my bank, I know there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars in that bank. So suppose I walk up to the counter and I say to the teller, Hi there, Alan McQuite, I've got an account here, and I would like to withdraw $100,000. The teller would look at me and say, One moment, sir. And she would begin pecking away at the computer or she would go somewhere to the back. And she would come back to me, and you know what she would say? She would say, I'm so sorry, sir. (laughs) But you cannot withdraw $100,000. Now listen, I could pull out my checkbook, slam it on the counter, and say, I got a checkbook. I could pull out my wallet, take out my debit card, say, I've got a debit card. I've got an account number here. I've got a bank account here. And I want to withdraw $100,000. And the teller would say, Sir, I am so glad you bank with us. I'm more than happy to look at your checkbook. I'll be glad to look and make sure that's your debit card. But you don't have $100,000 in your account. So I can't cash your check. You see... The issue is not, does the bank have the money? There are no shortage of funds in the bank. The problem is my account. (laughs) I can only write a check or make a withdrawal upon the deposits that I have put into that account. And if I don't have $100,000 in there, I can't take $100,000 out. Now listen to me. Sometimes we go to God and we say, God, I know you have the resources and the power and the ability to deal with my difficult problem, so please do it. And God says, yes, there's absolutely no no doubt about that. There's no issue with me being able to do what you're asking me to do. I can certainly do that, but uh, let me check your account. Let me check and see what kind of deposits You've made. Let me see what kind of investments in my kingdom you've made. Let me see what kind of commitment to my will for your life you have made. I got to tell you something, church, and we don't like to hear this, but God is no fool to cash a check on an empty account. There is no bank in the world that does that, and neither does God. He's not into responding to my need just so I can continue to leave Him out of the picture. He's not interested in solving my problem just so I can forget about him again once the crisis is over. Now, don't misunderstand. Our God is a God of grace. Thank God he is a God of grace. And sometimes he may still come through for you, but not because he has to. It's just because he's a God of grace. But my friend, when you keep the covenant with God then God is obligated to keep the covenant with you. And that's exactly what Nehemiah says. God keeps covenant with those who love him and who obey his Commandments Again, God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. So if I really want to be a difference maker, if I really want to see God change things in my own life, in my family, in my church, in my community, my nation, and among the nations, I've got to be a keeper of the covenant because determined prayer, my friend, is covenantal prayer. Keeps my end of the bargain with God means I love Him and I follow His commandments. Now, if you struggle with that, and some of us do, let me point you to something else here. Let's look for just a minute at the recognition of a destructive pattern. We've seen the role of a dedicated person, the reality of a difficult problem, the requirement of determined prayer. Let's look at this recognition of a destructive pattern. Let me ask you a question. Let's go back and review just a minute. Why were things the way they were in Jerusalem? Why were things such a mess? Why was this society completely in devastating circumstances? Why was there such distress in the culture? Well, look again at Nehemiah's prayer now. Let's let's look and see what he says here in verses six and seven. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, Lord, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now, I, I got to ask you a question. Where does Nehemiah place the blame for the problems in the culture? Did he place the blame on unbelievers? Did he place it on people who don't know God, who don't care about God? Does he blame the sinners out there? No. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites have committed. Those of us who are your people, and it's not just us in a generic sense. Jeremiah said, It's me. It's my sin. It's my family's sin. We've acted wickedly. We have not kept the commandments. I need to let you in on a secret. And this is one of those secrets we don't like to hear. But here it is anyway. The deterioration of a culture is directly tied to the sinfulness of God's people. The deterioration of a culture is directly tied to the sinfulness of God's people. This is very basic, and yet a lot of us haven't understood it. You see, the reason why God has his people, you and me, in this culture, the reason why he's left us here on earth and didn't take us to heaven the moment we accepted Jesus Christ into our hearts and in our lives is because part of his intention for us in the world is that we be difference makers, that we infuse our culture with holiness and righteousness, that we act as preservatives and sustainers of God's word and God's ways in the culture. By the way, that's why Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Part of your job is to hold back the spiritual decay and rot in your world. That is why he said, You are the light of the world. Part of your job is to push back against the encroaching spiritual darkness in your world. But too often, instead of preserving and sustaining the culture, we as the people of God actually add to the decay and the darkness and the decline of the culture because of our own sinfulness. Now, listen, here's the harsh reality. I will never be a di- I don't care how much I want to be a difference maker. I will never be a difference maker until I deal with my own sin. And that is why in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7 we read the words telling us that judgment the judgment of God begins with us. It begins with his household, the people of God. Why why doesn't it begin with all of the sinners that are out there? Well, Again, because God's intention for you and me is that we infiltrate, influence, impact our society and our culture for righteousness. But all we have to do is look around us and see that we have largely failed to be what God has saved us and called us to be. Nehemiah knew that. When he was confronted with the collapse of Jerusalem, he was honest enough to say, you know, I'm part of the reason why things are such a mess. And he didn't even live in Jerusalem. But he said, I'm part of the reason for this. Here's another truth, my friend, for you and me as we look at the devastation all around us. If I really want to be part of the solution, I need to understand my own contribution to the problem. My own personal contribution to the problem. Now, let me say something here. I want to be very clear, not be misunderstood. What non-Christians do out there, what unbelievers do out there, has absolutely contributed greatly to the deterioration of our culture and our world. I mean, what's happening out there is bad. It's horrible. There is no question about that. But I need to understand something. (laughs) Other people's sin out there, other people's rebellion out there, as bad as it is, has absolutely nothing to do with my sin and my rebellion. Are you with me? I mean, can you be mature enough and honest enough like Nehemiah to understand that the sin and rebellion out there in the unbelieving world, as bad as it is, has nothing to do with my own sin and my own rebellion? Your sin is, guess what? Your sin. Your rebellion against the word and the will and the ways of God is, guess what? Your rebellion. We are so prone sometimes to sit in the church, look around us at all the unrighteousness and all the people who don't know God and don't love God and don't honor God, and we say, you know, they ought to stop doing that. Okay. But what are you ought to stop doing? What should you stop doing? What needs to be fixed in your own life so that God can start using you to make a difference? This is why 2 Chronicles 7.14 is in the Bible, church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Listen, the moral and the ethical and the spiritual temperature of a culture and a nation is influenced for good or bad by the lives and the lifestyles, the actions and the attitudes, and the witnesses of God's people. In church, that's why we need, that's why we so desperately need doctors and teachers, accountants, athletes, business people of all kinds, students, retirees, who will be a righteous presence in the culture and who will live their lives to make a difference. Let me conclude this morning very quickly by looking with you at the response to a dynamic promise, verses eight and nine. Love these words. Remember the word, nearby praying here. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell. Do you see that? Nehemiah says, God, you you remembered your promise about disobedience and judgment. (laughs) In fact, you remembered that promise well because we're in a mess. You remembered your promise about judgment, but will you also remember your other promise? Will you also remember that you promised that if we would return to you, get back right with you again, walk in your ways again, be once again the people you have called us to be. Do you remember you promised that if we would do that, you would bless us and prosper us and use us again. See, that's God's promise too. And here's the great thing. God always keeps His promises. He always keeps His promises. The key, the key to God being able to use you, use me, use this church, use us as the people of God to make a difference, whether it's in our homes or our schools, our community, our nation, or among the nations, is right here in God's promise. If we will return to Him, He will return to us. And He will bless us and use us, and we will make a difference. I want to be part of that. How about you? Heavenly Father, for Your Word today, we are grateful for the opportunity to sit underneath Your authority, Your Spirit, Father, we are grateful, and I pray now that we would allow the searchlight of that Spirit to shine deep into our hearts and our lives. (laughs) You're just looking today for some dedicated people who would say, God, you can use me. You can take my life. I'm willing to leave my comfortable place, my secure spot get out in the mess you can use me and we're in a mess there are difficult problems all around us some of them in our own individual lives some in our families homes churches schools communities so we know we've got a difficult problem Lord help us to be determined prayers willing to sacrifice in prayer, remaining focused in prayer on You, the great and awesome God, keepers of the covenant with You. Honest enough, Lord, to admit our own contribution to the problems. Admitting before You this morning our own sinfulness and that the reason there are so often so many problems in our own lives and our homes and our churches and our schools and our communities and our nation is because we've sinned we haven't kept the covenant we don't look this morning outside these walls at an unbelieving world we look deep into our own hearts to see what needs to be fixed there And we ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to do it because you promise us, you promise us, you promise us that if we will return to you, you will return to us. And you will bless us and prosper us. You will use us. And through us, you will make that difference that so desperately needs to be made in so many places in the world around us. Now, Father, move in the hearts of your people if decisions need to be made this morning at the point of this message or at some other. Pray we'll give you the freedom this morning to move and do what you desire to do is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing as we sing this familiar hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Sing it and mean it from your heart. God will begin to use you to make that difference. You come as God leads you this morning.